Hi, I'm Mr. Kwonga. I'm Ian Wright. And I'm Ryan Hun. And collectively, we are the Stadio Podcast and Wrighty's House on the Ring FC feed. Yes, we are. And we come to you three times a week on the Ring FC feed. Bringing love. We're bringing love and football. So if you like zooming out and zooming in on football and all the stuff around it, make sure you follow Ring FC on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. How's that, Rye? I reckon I'll do. Yeah, man. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Let me tell you a little secret. If you want to end the day on an even better note, get yourself a sweet frozen treat from Sonic. Especially since right now at Sonic, you can get half-price shakes after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. That's creamy soft serve hand-mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size and flavor. So save on your chocolate shake today, your strawberry shake tomorrow, and your cheesecake shake the next day. Grab Sonic half-price shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring is such a refreshing time of year. Flowers are blooming and you're getting your house in order. But now is also a good time to take a second look at your wireless plan you might be overpaying. Right now, Mint Mobile has unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash bigpick. That's mintmobile.com slash bigpick. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I'm Sean Fennessy. I'm Amanda Dobbins. And this is The Big Picture, a conversation show about indie. Joining us today. <laughs> That's good. The mother of dragons, Mallory Rubin. Hi. It's the joy of my life to be here with you both to talk about Indiana Jones, something that is near and dear to my heart, and to talk about Harrison Ford, literally my favorite subject in the world. <laughs> Can I share, have you already shared publicly the circumstances uh, in which you saw Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, the fifth film. I had, uh, let's do it right now. May we? I was thrilled. <laughs> I arrived to the screening uh, and found a seat saved for me uh-huh. between uh, our pal Chris Ryan and uh, Sean was on the other side and then and Mallory Rubin. And then I was delighted to see your husband, Adam, yes. also with you. Mm-hmm. And I said, Adam, hello. I'm so glad to see you. Uh-huh. And you said... Today is our wedding anniversary. <laughs> That's correct. So this is how That's we've right. chosen to spend our time. Yes. There's a slightly more to it, which is that we actually had other plans, <laughs> dinner plans, because it is our ninth wedding anniversary. And we thought, if not now, when? In terms of leaving our home and sure. going out to have a meal in the world. And then I got the invite to the Dial of Destiny screening. And I said, would you rather go to this? And he said yes. He loves Indiana Jones. <laughs> he does. Of course, he does. Of course Adam does. Yeah. Well, we all saw it together, which was a lovely experience. Beautiful. We're going to talk about the film in depth today on the podcast. We're also going to rank the Indiana Jones movie franchise. Mm-hmm. And yep. we're probably going to get some notes from Mal about our Harrison Ford Hall of Fame, too. I'm sure we are. Are you okay with that? I'm, I'm ready. Although... We haven't done any kind of trading ahead of time or mm-hmm. planning, so right. I don't know where we're going to go on this. I have some I have some notes on our experience of the Hall of Fame since— You want a pod about the pod we just did? I wasn't planning to bring anything up today. I was going to send you all a very long memo. Okay. <laughs> That's literally what <laughs> podcasting is, is you just yeah. do the memo um, here. I'll just preview hashtag Dobmob. Uh, I, I, I aligned with Amanda frequently— 
I just want to say right now that Last Crusade and Working Girl and Mosquito Coast as yellows, I think you should be barred from podcasting, all of you, collectively. Wow. Wow. You should never be allowed to Listen, podcast again. Listen, I fought. I, I know. That's why I said and, that. And I'm really glad that you're here and you're on that island as we go to the rankings because I was preparing again last night for the rankings. I do my homework. Mm-hmm. And I'm like more pissed at you, Sean Fantasy, than ever. Like, Everybody your takes just are relax. bad and wrong. Uh, to be clear, Raiders is one of the most important movies ever sure, made. That's I know. not an anti-Raiders opinion. Yet, but Last Crusade and Raiders should have been auto greens without question. I mean, I agree. Astonishing. Astonishing. Um, here's the thing. You guys. I stand with Amanda. I'm, I'm, really, yeah. I'm really glad you're both here. Yeah. Uh, your primary mode of understanding Harrison Ford is I would like to enter a bed with that man. Doesn't have to be a, it does a not cinephile. have to be a bed. It, it doesn't have to be a bed. It can be a barn. A kitchen Ideally, table. Ideally, it's a barn. A blimp restaurant. Sure. <laughs> Ideally, it's a barn with straw where he is fixing a car. There and we go. That's Cook. what I'm talking about. Bill Simmons. <laughs> right here, right now. Let me and Mallory do a witness rewatch. It would be the pot of my life. Okay. I feel sure. Uh, this is the big picture and not the rewatchables. And Bill is not listening to this, I can assure you. So um, your pleas will go unheard. For the sake of this conversation, let's let's talk about the new movie. Okay, you can... Sure. You can I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to deal with you grousing about something you just did 18 hours ago <laughs> to me on the pod right now. Uh, the new movie is, yeah. of course, unlike the previous four films, directed by James Mangold and not Steven Spielberg. Um, it's written by Jez Butterworth, John Henry Butterworth, David Kep, and Mangold. And it stars Harrison Ford. He returns as Indiana Jones. Thank fucking God he's here because they probably wouldn't be making an Indiana Jones movie without him. It also stars Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Antonio Banderas, Toby Jones, Boyd Holbrook, and Mads Mikkelsen. Get this. He's still an archaeologist. He's an aging archaeologist at this point. Harrison Ford, of course, we know is 80 years old now. I believe he filmed this movie when he was 78 and 79. He's about to be 81. Yeah. 81 years yeah. old. Did you know that? He shares yeah. a birthday with someone in your life. Yes, my daughter. God yeah. bless her. Uh, <laughs> in this film, when we meet Indy, well, there's a prologue, but when we meet him in, in the modern times of 1969, mm-hmm. he is divorced, still teaching. He's about to retire. Yep. And a new artifact and an old family member re-enter his life, and that sets him off on a new course. Mm-hmm. So before we dig deeper into the details of the film, Mallory, I'll start with you. What did you think of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I have to say, I'm confounded by the critical response to this, sincerely. Like, there have been plenty of times in my life where I like a movie more or less than the main response, and that's fine. But I actually don't understand the response to this. I will say some of it maybe seems to be, you two would be the experts on this, the context of where it was released, because while Rotten Tomatoes is certainly not a a perfect metric, and in fact is a deeply flawed one, this movie is rising, 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 rising as more people see it. Now, still only up to 67. You know, you know why. Get, you know right? why. Yeah. Because of where they premiered the film. Yes. And like, also because I was not at Cannes. <laughs> right. Exactly. To contribute my... We've got yeah. standing ovations. We've got tears. We've got questions from the press about how he stays so fit. And a wonderful reply from Harrison Ford about, thank you for noticing <laughs> my body, which like... This is just a wonderful time to be alive witnessing the Fortissance. I'm a huge fan of his TV work as well in 1923 and Shrinking recently. Uh, Obviously, he's about to be in the MCU as Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross. He is just giving us gift after gift. And so not only was it a delight to have another Indiana Jones movie and to have like what was, I think, truly a proper send-off for like a late stage, this is what it looks like to get old and watch the world change around you in a way that I don't think Crystal Skull even approximates and this movie really nailed. Like, I thought it was a fun adventure. 
And I thought it was like shockingly touching. I was deeply moved multiple times in this movie, including twice to tears, which I am not ashamed to admit on this podcast. This is one of the most important characters and franchises in the history of this of cinema. And we have like a send-off now that we can feel good about. Why is this not just like a celebration? Is this a send-off that you can feel good about, Amanda? Absolutely. Okay. My review is this is my kind of bullshit. You know, like this is <laughs> this is it. I a little bit more than Mallory understand. Well, I, I have some notes uh, that I, I, will I also have apply some possibly a in a science movie. corner yeah. coming okay. soon. I see. But uh, yeah, it is. This is why I go to the movies, especially in the summer. It is a delightful blockbuster. To Mallory's point, it does. It has real affection for the series that came before it and yeah. feels like a culmination and a send off and is a lot of fun. So I, you know, and, and I think French people can understand that too. I'm disappointed with the Cannes crowd as well. Yeah. I think there's some complexity with premiering franchise entertainments at Cannes. Mm-hmm. And sure. there was a lot of talk about premiering this film and Elemental in front of the Cannes crowds and the, both films getting negative responses mm-hmm. leading to a kind of a lowering of expectations and excitement about the release of these movies. And we've seen Elemental had a very bad opening box office weekend and actually had a better second weekend because maybe more people are liking it and there's better word of mouth. This movie might have a somewhat similar situation where in terms of like, there was huge audience anticipation, I think when it was announced and it Mm -hmm. has been lowered a bit. I felt pretty close to where you guys are. I wouldn't say I'm quite as positive as both of you about the movie. I will say though, through the first about hour and 20 minutes, I was right there with you, Mallory. I was like, this movie rocks. Like, I have no (laughs) idea what people are talking about. Now, the film takes a couple of really bold choices near the end, which we will discuss (laughs) in a spoiler-framed detail that Uh I think shifted my feelings a little bit. But really, for the first roughly hour, hour and a half, first two acts, I was like, this is just a good Indiana Jones movie. And as we know from Crystal Skull, that's not a guarantee that we're going to get those all the time. That being said, I've I've revisited Crystal Skull and I've evolved Same. some of my takes yeah, as well, which too. we'll get into. Sure. Um, okay, let's 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 talk about some questions before we start spoiling things specifically. There's a big prologue set up for this movie where we go back in time. We go back to the end of World War II to sign a, sort of introduce this dial, this titular item, the Antithecara, mm-hmm. which is a great pronunciation. A, thank yeah, you. Look at uh, you. Made up Rock word. Star. Uh, it is a creation of Archimedes, uh-huh. and it's meant to control. What? How do? What is the? What is this MacGuffin, Mallory? Is this spoiler territory, or this is the non-spoiler version of what's the, the answer? What's the understanding of the characters when they're searching for this thing? In the beginning of the movie, the Basil character, who is Helena's father, Helena's the Phoebe Waller-Bridge character, has been obsessed with this item, the dial of, of destiny, the titular dial of destiny, and believes that it has the ability to function. In essence as a time machine, that it can find fissures in time, that the moments of the calendar in which it is connected point to some sort of magical power. Now, you take away the particulars of that and it maps onto every other Indiana Jones movie where our central figure has some element of uh, dissonance about whether he believes that magic is possible because he is, of course, a scientist and then, of course, has witnessed and we have witnessed with him over the years a number of irrefutably (laughs) magical things that you could get into the Arthur C. Clarke magic and science connection of it all, right? And I think a lot of the fun of the mythology of the movies lives in that space. But like our guy was there when the Ark of the Covenant opened, you know? 
Yes. I don't know if you want to get into your holy grail takes again. Yeah, People have but heard he them saw before. It. It's real to but him. But he saw his father's abdominal wound heal before his very eyes. So he knows that great things, that inexplicable things are possible in the world. And yet part of his his internal struggle is like, do you spend the time in the library? Do you go out into the field? We've heard him say both across these many movies. It's part of the fun. In this prologue, it's 1944, so it's about yeah. six years since the events of Last Crusade. And did you find that this MacGuffin, that this object, felt strongly in the lineage of previous objects? I would say Crystal Skull, with, oh, not with withstanding, which is, is a really huge outlier. I mean, yes. the, because as you mentioned, it is set in 1944. Um, the opening segment is a flashback, which means two things. Number one. Harrison Ford is de-aged, yes. which we can talk more about. Mm-hmm. And number two, it's towards the end of World War II and there are Nazis everywhere. That's right. And the Nazis also want the dial. Right. So Though that's not what they're there for. They're there for the lance, yes. which yes. is very grail adjacent yes. in a way that I'm sure okay. you have opinions about, right? Yes. And so that's part of the fun of it, too, is it's this like this series of kind of accidental discoveries with the dial and rediscoveries of the dial across the course of the film. I'd love to talk about the de-aging. Is this the spot to do it or is that coming later? No, I think we should. I mean, I did, but did you, you felt like it did fit? It well, fit I in. mean, it, it is very clearly um, a powerful object that Nazis want in order to win the war, which yeah. is a direct, you know, line to the two best Indiana right. Jones yeah. movies. Right. So yes. yeah, I was fine with it. It's As less it went- religious though. It sure. is the other MacGuffin. And it as is. it goes, it is really actually mo- much more scientific yeah. mm-hmm. than what, yeah. we, well, what has come yeah. before. So, and as the MacGuffin it's evolves computer. throughout the movie, uh, and and we get into spoiler territory, it begins to it takes a turn it as does. you as you said, and it works a little bit less for me. But that opening sequence, I was like, oh great, we're like back in Indiana Jones, we're playing the hits. And I'll be honest, at this point in my life with Indiana Jones, I don't mind playing the hits. I will also say. The de-aging looked slightly weird, but great. Because you know what? My man is really was really handsome. I thought yeah. it was some of the best I've ever seen. Yeah. When, I, as far as de-aging technology goes. I, I'm, I'm holding like two truths inside of me with this one, which sure. is I think that that's objectively the case. And it's been interesting to like read a, about just the, the vast volume of archival footage, of course, that they have, not only of his face, but of him playing this character in similar outfits and similar kind of like, I'm running on a train or participating in some sort of chase dirt sequence. on my face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, the slightly uncanny nature of it like bugged me more than maybe any de-aging I've ever seen. I think just because Harrison Ford has the most perfect and consequential face in the history of the world. And that's so, what, what, whatever you just said. <laughs> yeah. is, that's, He's I, just the most I, handsome and magnetic more person. More so than who the Mona Lisa. Ever li- Fuck the yeah. Mona Lisa. Look as if it doesn't <laughs> move. Lisa can eat I'm with shit. Mallory. Put yeah. Harrison Ford's face in the Louvre. Are you kidding me? <laughs> God, remake Glass Onion, but with a portrait <laughs> of Harrison Ford, a still shot of Harrison Ford. I don't even remember Sam the Cook plot of, okay, yeah, there we go. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't, don't know. remember the it's plot of Glass like, Onion, but his yes. His face is so embedded in our minds that anything that isn't exactly right, I think, kind of pings. I wouldn't say it's... And, and listen, just amen to everything that you're saying. I'm yeah. right here with you. It's probably more embedded in your mind than anyone else's, <laughs> even mine. And it's, yeah. like, it's very pretty embedded. Yeah. So, you know, I agree. There are a few less creases, and the creases and the... 
Harrison Ford got hotter as he got older, which is a thing that many men can do. And congratulations to all yeah. of you. Um, maybe that's also fucking patriarchy. Man. One of the My maybe that's one of coming. the reasons that men are <laughs> only cool as they get older because they finally get hot. But so <laughs> the fact that he, <laughs> the fact uh, that he yeah. doesn't have like that sort of weathered texture mm-hmm. in the de aging, mm-hmm. it is slightly yeah. less Harrison Ford than Harrison Ford. But I was also like. Wow! It, remember when? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. I had a weird, like, emotional moment about the mm-hmm. passage of time. Oh, you know, sure. and and yeah. here we all are. And remember when we used to be young? Yeah, and well, now, I, that was how I felt sure. when we saw him in the '69 timeline. Uh, totally. But the other thing about the de aging before we get to the the present of the film is just how long that opening stretches. Now, I think one of the notes about a movie that I cherished and adored is that it is quite long. Yes. Quite long compared to a typical Indiana Jones movie. And it is, while it has those emotional uh, moments of poignancy throughout and a lot of, like, character-driven, delightful little exchanges, shout out Wombat, can't wait to talk more about Wombat, even by Indiana Jones standards, it is just a very long chase scene across two and a half hours and the the nature of the chase changes, but it's almost always a chase. And so for the opening stretch in the de-aged period to be that long running across a train, I was like slightly surprised by, but also thought it was magical. It is, like you said, Amanda, it's like a time capsule. It just ports you back into what it was like to watch those earlier films. I will say, I enjoyed this prologue. I think you can entirely cut the prologue out of the movie and just have a little bit of additional exposition, and the movie probably works just as well. Maybe the reveal, perhaps, of uh, Jürgen Voller, who is the Mads Mikkelsen character, who is a Nazi, and also a kind of um, artifact seeker in, in a similar mold to Indiana Jones, who we later isn't see in like present a, times. A, also a scientist? He is a scientist, And yes. he's, like, working on... Isn't he sort of like an Oppen, like Oppenheimer, but... Ish. Well, so when we cut to the present day, um, you know, we see Indy as this right. aging professor... And Helena, a.k.a. Wombat, a.k.a. Yeah. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, re-enters his life. He is, in fact, Toby Jones's character's uh, daughter and right. Indy's goddaughter. That's right. And she appears so in one of his when classes. When you said member of his family, That's what I meant, you're, yeah. you're counting goddaughter. Right. I think that's yeah. nice. Yeah. Beautiful. You know, I, as, I, as I the, open my arms wide. As the Fast and Furious and franchise say, has taught yeah, us, family. family is expansive. Family. I just wanted I to seen be any sure. Of those films. Are we uh, just skipping the part where an 80-year-old or a 79-year-old Harrison Ford has a shirtless scene? And that is how we begin. And a pantsless scene. I mean, well, I thought we were going to talk about that for 30 minutes. I turned to first my husband and then to Amanda yeah. and said the exact same thing to both of them. And it was this. He still fucking got it. Yeah. And he yeah. does. He definitely has the body of an 80-year-old man. A nice body for it's an 80-year-old yeah. man. But he looks great. There's, there's some loose skin, I would say. That's fine. Okay. It's the loose skin and that makes you think of where all those, like, tight corded muscles used to what be. Is, He's what is it with, looks like, great. The, the barrel chest at a yeah. certain point, uh-huh. you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. thinking also of, like, Brad Pitt on the roof in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's obviously much younger, but... You know, shall we speak more about male anatomy? Is that something that you want to do here? (laughs) Hello, who are you podcasting? This is a tricky one, right? Because on the one hand, uh, you guys are just really horned up for like seventy-year-olds. That's like a fact about both of you. Sorry that we have open minds and we see beauty everywhere. A lot of love in our hearts. That's that's really nice. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to spend too much time on Uh borderline nude Harrison Ford in the first twenty minutes of this movie because I found it to be an odd choice. Candidly, Um, simply do not. Well, you said we can't do. Spoilers yet. Yeah. So we're, Bobby, we're you're podcasting. A, you're an expert in physical fitness. I suppose. Do yeah. you have thoughts on Harrison Ford still rocking it shirtless in movies at 80? Well, I haven't seen this movie, but I have seen 
uh, Harrison Ford's body in other circumstances, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, he looks great. Yeah. I'm happy for him. He seems like he's out there walking a lot, you know, keeping fresh. Better to walk fit, than fly. He's, a, yeah, he's, also, he's a cyclist as well Is at he? this point. Yeah, I've seen a lot of photos of him in like, in like he's a full spandex cyclist also, okay. which I usually am against. But in this case, I'll make an exception for Harrison yeah. Ford. Just like <laughs> so biking through the UK. can call anything cool then. It's just if the, right, the cool if person Harrison is doing Ford, it, well, it's, activity it's not, doesn't matter. That, that is not about coolness. I think that like full spandex cyclists are sort of like a menace to society. But mm. um, Sean, I'm, when are you going to get in your cyclist era? You don't even realize what I've been up to lately. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, in a, I'm in a full unitard these days when I go cycling. <laughs> Helmet uh, always, though, because you're responsible. Anyway. You're a father. Of course. Harrison Ford's allowed because he's a menace to society and other forms of transportation. Right. Yeah. Let's circle back to the film, if you don't mind. Uh, when Helena comes canon. into his life, she <laughs> identifies that she wants to get her hands on the Dial of Destiny, that mm-hmm. she's questing for it, and that she seems like a, a treasure hunter in a way, in, right. in a way that we've seen Indiana Jones in previous films. And he's kind of toggling back and forth between this character um, who's a scholar, who is trying to teach and learn about the history, and also someone who sees the value in some of these artifacts. Then Jürgen Voller returns as well as a, I guess, a NASA scientist. Yeah, Operation Paperclip, right? And someone who is responsible for putting the men on the moon. And so we know that he, you know, that's that's an unusual turn, I would say, for a a former Nazi scientist to get involved in um, American... Except it isn't. It's real world history. But it did happen. (laughs) So uh, I guess like... Did the world of 1969 for you work in the context of an Indiana Jones movie, especially in New York City? I loved this. This was one of my favorite things about the movie because especially like the the, the Moon Day celebration in particular, the stretches where they're, you know, walking through the streets of the, of the parade, but like the constant, you know, Indy having to go and like knock on his his neighbor's door and say like, turn the music down and they're celebrating. What are they celebrating? Progress, right? And these moments where he's confronting, okay, here's a goodbye from people at the office. You're thinking about like the end of something and everybody else is thinking about the beginning. And like definitionally, Indiana Jones as a character has always been connected to like history in the past. What is he? He's an archaeologist. He's digging up things that have been buried in the dirt. But the Moon Day setting just brings that juxtaposition to the fore in a way that I love. Like, I think that James Mangold's films, like Logan is another one that I love. And it's a very, very, very different movie tonally. But they're both about these, like, massively iconic figures who are grappling with what it means for something to change and end and to not be as relevant to the world around them as they used to be. And so, like, what could be what could be more appropriate than everybody celebrating going to space and Indies walking around like, I used to dig up things in the sand and no one gives a shit anymore. Like, what is my place in all of this? It's a really smart construction. I'll be honest, I spent a little bit of time doing math, you know, because I was like, okay, so (laughs) it was the 40s and Harrison Ford was original Indiana Jones age and now he's this, you know, I just, Mm -hmm. it, because they're changing his age as well as the time periods, I had to Mm -hmm. place myself in time a little bit. But no, I thought it was beautiful. And then, to the point of of the parade and the saying the parade at some point also becomes a, like an anti-war protest right. that yep. Harrison Ford well, that Indiana Jones gets kind of lumped into but joins which sets up another mm-hmm. I thought like pretty emotional beat of the story though yes. um Sean you will have some math to do and some timeline questions to do about that one let's start with this before we start getting into s- true spoiler territory okay. Phoebe Waller-Bridge of course is critical to this movie yes what did you think of her performance and her character? I thought she was sensational. I, I absolutely loved her. And I thought that this was specifically the thing that Crystal Skull, which 
I'm looking forward to discussing later, and I've had a similar journey with it <laughs> in, in recent weeks. This specifically is what Crystal Skull got wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Bringing Mutt into the mix, the frankly gall to have him pick up the fedora at the end and like toy for even a moment with the idea that he could inherit the mantle. I thought Helena was much more organically and deftly positioned as somebody who has that indie balance, right? Like, kind of an asshole, definitely a smart ass, sort of a fuckboy. Like, a lot of the rom- a lot of the romance of the movie and, like, the sexual, like, lust of the film is centered around her character this time instead of Indies, which I loved. But she actually is the smartest person in the room. She can solve the puzzle and solve the riddle. The, the difference between the two of them is that Indy is still more of, like, the, despite that rough edge, like, sanctimonious purist. He's the this-belongs-in-a-museum guy, and she's the, I've lost my ability to, like, believe in anything like that. I'm here for the cash pragmatist. Mm -hmm. So I liked that even though they had so many aspects of their persona that were the same, and you could feel that history from her childhood between them— and she feels like the right person if there isn't a, a passing of the of the fedora to, to take it one day or a passing of the bullwhip to take it one day, there's still a tension in the way they see the world and the way that they conduct their affairs. So I thought she was just, I thought she was great. Yeah, I agree. I, she also has amazing screwball chemistry with Harrison Ford and yeah. brings out yes. like the comedic timing. Everything is just very light on its feet and and you need that willing to go along with, like, the silliness of these movies a little bit. They, they are a throwback. You know, they were originally conceived as a throwback to, to serial movies. So I just also really like screwball comedy in my action movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought a lot about the great No Time to Die scene between Anna mm-hmm. Darmus and, and, and Daniel Craig. And there's another action film coming up which has a similar zaniness. Um, I just, A+. Plus. A, like, keep giving it to me. It's wonderful. I enjoyed her as well. I I was wondering <laughs> while watching it how much of her dialogue she actually wrote, and I suspect quite a bit. Yeah, of course. Um, which is part of the genius of casting someone like her in a part like this. You know that she's not just going to repeat your mediocre franchise movie dialogue. Um, I thought she was also pretty uh, adept physical performer. You know, the Indiana Jones movies yeah. mm-hmm. are uh, a real physical challenge, mm-hmm. and um, she really she hung in there with a lot of like stunt work. And as you said, Mal, like this movie is. In some ways, in not a good way, one big long chase. Yeah. And there's a lot of just activity yeah. that she needs to be along for the ride on or even driving at times. And she was really great. So I really dug her. I really also just really liked the chase sequence through the what became the anti-war march. And then ultimately, yeah. mm-hmm. Ford's uh, hopping on a horse. Fantastic. I, I just thought it was awesome. Like <laughs> really As I was watching it, I was like, this is... If you were going to make movies like this, let's do it like this. You know, like this is how we stage. And I think a lot of that credit goes to James Mangold, who's, of course, great at these set pieces. And we saw in Ford versus Ferrari, we saw in Logan, we saw in movies like this. He's really, really good at this kind of stuff. And then um, the the movie starts to take some turns and it becomes a a global adventure in many ways. Um, It's probably, now is probably the time, since that's roughly the first 30 to 40 minutes of the movie, where we can put some spoiler framing around the rest of our discussion because there's the fate of one character that I'd like to discuss. So let's just say if you don't want any more of this movie spoiled for you, maybe fast forward 30 minutes or so and we'll get into some movie rankings or you can come back after you've seen it. Spoiler warning. But now, let's talk about Mutt. Yeah. So Mutt, (laughs) as played by Shia LaBeouf, is dead. Yep. He died in Vietnam. 
Yeah. He enlisted willingly, so, according to the story. Hold on, hold on, yes. hold on. I almost am like, I think that we should read these text messages aloud because <laughs> it, the, you, te- you started this dialogue uh-huh. by asking us which war Mutt died in because the movie does not explicitly say it. It's obviously 1969. Indy very clearly joins an anti-Vietnam protest. Yes. Yes. Um, and I think it seems clear that Mutt's death and the ensuing... It is, uh, it's, like, heavily implied. Crumbling of the marriage is quite recent. Yes, right. right. Yes. And and so... Between Karen Allen's character yes. and, and... You're right and that it Indeed. just, like, it sort of has to be Vietnam, but they yeah. don't say it at any point. I think because, as you are about to point out, the math is a little confusing. I think if you ch- chart the math across Crystal Skull to the the time that mm-hmm. this film takes place, you could say Mud is somewhere between 30 and 35. And so a 33-year-old man enlisting in the army to fight in the Vietnam War circa 1967 is just a bizarre... Th- I, I'm not sure if I've heard... Maybe there are examples of that, but it's 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 a plot contrivance to yeah. do away with Shia, obviously. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that is why that, that choice was made. But while I was watching the film and we heard this moment explained later in the film, I was like, what the fuck? Like, I, it just took me <laughs> right out of the movie. And obviously, they're obviously trying to correct for what you identified, Mallory, which is yeah. the lifting of the fedora at the end of Crystal Skull and the kind of retcon <laughs> what they were trying to insinuate they? to us. But uh, it's not that big of a deal, but it was yeah. a, it's a strong choice that they made mm-hmm. that they ver- like really verbalized in the script that I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know if it made sense. <laughs> I bumped on the math at first, too. As Amanda noted, we were all actively discussing this in, in the wake of seeing the film. I think revisiting... Crystal Skull, which is set in 57. I had thought that Mutt was supposed to be maybe slightly older, like that when he was talking about dropping out of school, he was talking about college. Mm -hmm. But I'm not so sure. He talks about prep school. So, like, maybe Mutt is younger than we think in Crystal Skull. So he's, like, 16. Also, we don't know. I just think we don't know how, like, nothing in the film, unless we are forgetting, and we should say, as a caveat for this entire pod, it's been a long time since we've seen this movie. Weeks have passed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to see it again tonight before doing Rigorverse tomorrow. I wish I'd gotten to see it again before doing this pod. But I don't think we learn how long Mutt was in the service. So he could we have enlisted they, they, well before he was killed. They leave it murky. What was it that reasons. he learned about what was happening in the Vietnam War that made him want to well, enlist? Well, Indy says he implies that Mutt did it to to piss punish yeah. his father, to piss him off, to make him mad. That's part of the guilt that he's carrying. Is that something people were doing? I don't, I wasn't there. It's just, it's a strong character choice. Okay. It's not that big of a deal, but it it, it jumped out to me as I started pondering the Here, film. Here's, here's, I say that because his death is yes. critical to yes. the story. The fact that, you know, he and Marion have split and then it's kind of searching for purpose in the aftermath. Like the death of a child is like a, a oh, radical, yeah. mm-hmm. massive story point to make. And even though we don't see Mud or even really see a photo of Mud in this movie, they went to great pains to set him up in the previous film. And obviously Shia has also had some personal struggles yes. and has become a much more complicated figure in the public eye. And there was a part of me that was like, this kind of feels like they're putting their thumb in, in his eye in a way, like by having this borderline illogical story point inserted into the movie and then used as the crux of Indy's emotional arc because as the film goes on and you see these like this sacrifice that he thinks about making near the end of the film it feels very tied to this story point that they've made yeah I don't know if I agree with the thumb in the eye part just because I think like Mutt in Crystal Skull is presented to us as a character who's like 
lacking purpose and is like offended in a way that I do think is sort of winning and part of the one of the stronger parts of his introduction by people, including his mother, who are like, get your shit together. Why are you choosing to live your life this way? And so I think like learning like that Mutt decided to do something that he thought was meaningful for whatever reason, and that is a meaningful thing, right, is an interesting thing to learn about the character. I think also like to have a father like Henry Jones Jr. who is constantly gallivanting about the globe, having some sort of impact on history, Mutt trying to find his version of that, I think tracks. But ultimately at the end of the day, they had to explain why Mutt wasn't there. And Mm -hmm. so I'm much less, I think we all thought it was a little bit of a speed bump, but I'm perfectly content with it because it gave us the easily one of the three best moments of the movie, which was, We've all watched like 25 to 30 Harrison Ford movies in the last couple of weeks. One of our favorite actors. Truly one of the great movie stars of the world. I thought this was some of his best acting in this sequence where Helena asked like, what would you have told him? You know, what would you have done differently? And paraphrasing, but basically I would I'd tell him he was going to die. I'd tell him that the grief would consume his mother and that yeah. I would not be able to console her. And like to learn that their marriage had fallen apart because he couldn't figure out a way to comfort the person that he cared most about in the world. I thought was like so sad and very well delivered from Harrison Ford in one of the moments in the movie that I thought captured this is a guy who has lived a full life and who is in like a different, genuinely different place than where we met him in Raiders. And there are other moments in the movie that are also delightful, like the elbow kiss callback at the end. Is there anywhere it doesn't hurt that are just crackling and beautiful and really like honor our time with the character, but those are fun, right? Those are sexy. It's important, I think, to have a moment like this. It's like, this guy has like matured and grown and lost and suffered and he's carrying something with him that's different from the thing he carried before. The thing he carried before was the the pain of being the son who his father didn't care about. And now he's on the other side of that. Yeah. I, I loved it. I mean, <laughs> I, like, I also got to be honest, I don't take Indiana Jones movies that literally, you know? Mm. Like adding up the the Yes, the we know because of effect. your misunderstanding of the historical nature of the grail. Sure. Yes. <laughs> I have more, th- when you want to do that, I have more thoughts oh, on that. Um, I, like, I see what you're saying because I, I tried to engage with you mm-hmm. when you brought this up the first time. Mm-hmm. And you're right that the math doesn't add up, but I don't, I don't, I agree with Mal, I don't see it as like a, you know, a thumb in the eye or like a, an, a personal rebuke. They just needed to set up the emotional stakes of yeah. the movie yeah. and, and explain it in a believable way. And aside from the age thing, which we can just futz a little. Yeah, I, no, I, and I think you're right. You can say maybe he was 16 in that movie and not actually 22 or whatever I assumed him to be. It ultimately doesn't matter, but it, it matters to the telling of the story because yeah. of the consequence that you're talking about, the fact that he is at the end of his life and he is reflecting on kind of like what he's leaving behind, which is kind of nothing, which is basically just the scholarly work that he did, which he's always had this complicated relationship to because it's it's a question of should he be out in the world and exploring mm-hmm. the world and understanding mm-hmm. it or should he be lecturing, literally lecturing people about the things that he knows that they do not, which right. as any podcaster can tell you is a fraud <laughs> existence, you know? Sometimes you just have too much info uh, and uh, you don't feel great about how you're conveying it. Uh, the movie does kind of blur together in the middle for me as it becomes this globetrotting adventure. You know, we go from Tangier to mm-hmm. the Mediterranean to Greece it's very beautiful. It does seem like mm-hmm. it was all shot on yeah, location, which is it. very important yeah. to you, of course. Did you enjoy the adventurous nature of the second act? Yeah, of course. It was beautiful. Film outside, you know? That's kind of just one of my recommendations yeah. to all people. Just film in real places outside Did you? Sunlight. Did you both feel like that it was a kind of just a big trolley car smash up for an hour in the middle there? 
They're on a boat yeah. at some point with yeah. Antonio Banderas, right? Yes. yes. Um, but that also is just another chase because the, the yeah. <laughs> Mads and Boyd are there in pursuit. There's the question of the tangled lines. We get eels instead of snakes. It's all, everyone's everyone's pursuing the whole time. But it was I liked beautiful. the chase through Tangiers. That mm-hmm. was... Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. And, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge is driving a bit of that, and I mm-hmm. agree she was good. I don't remember what happened in Greece, but I love Greece. Would love to go back. So, if anyone's listening, uh, <laughs> just well, a, a young boy is introduced yeah, into the story. I right? Like, Teddy and, was great. I and, thought. Yeah, Teddy wow. Was, I, I straight up don't remember Teddy. Obviously, okay. an homage. To Helena's short sidekick. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. Teddy. He was great. Okay, now yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it is one of those <laughs> yeah. movies right, where you're like, oh yeah, that guy, yeah, and then yeah, this other yeah, guy yeah, comes yeah, in yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. What did you both think of of, of Mads and, and Boyd Holbrook as the heavies of this film? Mm-hmm. I really wish Chris Ryan were here. Yeah. Because we, as mentioned, Chris Ryan was also with us. And as we walked out of the theater, Mallory and Adam, I hope, went to celebrate their anniversary <laughs> solo. <laughs> Sean, Chris, and I walked out. And then Chris just started spitballing like an extensive <laughs> backstory for Boyd Holbrook's character. And he's like, so are we supposed to think that he was like a clan member? <laughs> and then like this whole thing. And I was like, yes, Chris, that is what that is canon. That oh, is what was written. That was immediately where he went. I know. He was like, so that's what we're supposed to think. And I was like, yep. Every single person thought that it was beautiful, beautiful stuff. You know, Boyd Holbrook, of course, I, in Logan, has worked with Mangled before. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but um, Boyd Holbrook has the best line reading in the whole movie uh, when he, but it, it gives away the, the final reveal. So I don't okay. want to, we're okay. not there yet. We'll wait. Um, Boyd, who I, I absolutely adore. Just cherish his his villain in Logan is one of my favorites He's in, great. in recent movie memory. I would say better in that than in this personally. I that's what I was gonna say. Like this is actually one of my notes on the movie is I think he was kind of wasted. It's underwritten an underwritten character. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't have a ton to do. He's no. a, a more of a henchman and a stooge than the the primary yep. threat. And I also love Mads Mikkelsen. So him being the primary threat is uh, uh wonderful. It's not like I would necessarily make the trade, but Boyd felt underutilized despite being in the excellent subway <laughs> horse motorcycle chase. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which was wonderful. I I I think maybe they needed to call Chris. Like I don't I don't yeah. even mean that as a joke. Like they kind of needed to flesh that character. Give us like two lines of exposition so we understand yeah. why he's so loyal to this cause that the Jurgen character is pursuing. Right. I did think, I mean Mads is always awesome. I mean, Wonderful. he's just great. Yeah. It's a little bit of karaoke for him to be playing yet another German demon in an American franchise movie. Right. Like, he just does this in on autopilot. But the creation of that character as a kind of dueling scientist is was cool, was a good note. And I think when we see them kind of side by side in the final act of the movie and them kind of measuring their wits in the yeah. final moments is, is a lot of fun. Uh, should, we, should we talk about the big conclusive third act? Yeah. So, oh, boy. Indiana Bobby, Jones. are you ready for this? Bobby, based on what you know, what do you think happens? I, well, I haven't even been following the plot of the movie at all other okay. than just that they're running around chasing each other. So oh, I don't know yeah. who's they're who and who's after trying the to dial. get what. They're basically yeah. chasing each other parts. for the dial. The dial is in pieces, so they need to get the different pieces, collect them, solve the mystery of where the pieces are so that they can find them, put it back together, and reforge the dial anew. But they obviously want it for different reasons. And what is the like stated reason that they want the dial? Like, What does it give them? Mads well, wants to... Eve, Mads wants the dial because the 
he was he's been pursuing it for 30 years and he's evil. Are we in full spoiler? Full he everything? He believes that the theory that the time fissures yeah. allow oh, that is right. for oh, time right, right, travel right, right. is okay. true. But not only okay. that, he believes that it will. T- he can thus use it to go to 1939 and wait for kill it. Hitler. Not as but, a baby, though. Not as a baby. <laughs> but Just kill him. Not, not Bobby to stop him. From the atrocities he committed. To do a better job. To yeah, to do a better, better job. He was like, the problem yes. was that Hitler lost the war for us. Yeah, I mean, it's a real, like, Valkyrie reboot, where it's like, we're not only are we going to kill Hitler, but we're going to do his job better than him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Helena wants it, in theory, to sell yeah, it, to cash in, but her father, Basil, this was, like, his great obsession. And that was the other thing in terms of how, to get back to your earlier question, Sean, how a MacGuffin is deployed in indie movies that I really liked about this one is like that idea of obsession and how it shapes somebody and the fact that Indy has a connection to Basil, to Helena, knows the way that that obsession with the dial like consumed him. We'll talk about Last Crusade soon, but what is like one of the central elements of that plot is that Henry Sr. was obsessed with the grail, consumed by the grail uh, to the point where his own child and his family and his life around yeah. him ceased to carry that If he had same read one book, he would know that it was invented in the 11th century. If he had listened to the century, big picture. Okay. You've moved back from the 16th century. Yeah. So I liked we those just, parallels. We can't do more grail chat. Just, Bobby, we can do, we can do whatever we need to. We're going to. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> continue your point. Yeah, but so like those, those parallels, you know, and George Lucas is not the actual writer of the movie and like prior indie installments in terms of scripting the story though he is an EP um, but that's a very George Lucas it's poetry it rhymes <laughs> right, get right. those recurring beats across time and across character sets so I enjoyed that so they're all questing for this item yes. which eventually Jürgen acquires and they use to pursue mm-hmm. a journey through a portal in time yes and in fact a portal in time opens yes and he believes, based on his calculations, his character's calculations, and when he's doing this, he, for some inexplicable reason, decides to just bring Indiana Jones with him, basically just to prove him wrong rather than shoot him in the head, as he probably should have an hour <laughs> earlier in the film. Um, he, uh, that would be a great movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, he does, in fact, enter a portal in time, but he does not go back to 1939. Right. He goes back to 210 uh, ancient Greece. He goes to Syracuse, Sicily, where he encounters the creator of the dial during the siege of Syracuse, Archimedes. Archimedes, of course, mathematician, inventor, yeah. astronomer, one of the great yeah. minds of the of in the history of civilization. An inspiration yeah. for Amanda on Science Corner. Yeah, absolutely. He, that's listen. That's it's coming. Uh, uh, and they enter a a, a war yes. sequence. Yeah. during the siege of Syracuse by plane and. So they travel back in time. Yes. They travel Ding back. factor in continental drift is right. the explanation <laughs> yeah. for the different point of time that they Which exit. I thought was... Which I love. Oh, yeah, that's that was great. Indy's yeah, conclusion. That worked. Yeah. Um, that part was fun. I will say, though, mm-hmm. when they made the shift and we enter Syracuse, yeah. I was like, oh, no. Oh, yeah, no, I, I can't. I, I, you've lost me here. Oh, I, I loved this. So <laughs> this here's where I, 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 had, I had two phases of no. The first no was like, oh, no, they're doing a multiverse, which, you know, is a little bit PTSD from the last three months to six years of movie movie going. But I'm out on multiverses. And then part two, I just have to be honest, I don't know if I literally needed to talk with Archimedes. You know what I'm saying? And I do run Science Corner, but when (laughs) Archimedes just shows up and I understand the emotional beat 
that it sets up sort of. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's that Indy has been wanting to be, you know, toggling between like, am I a scholar or I'm a person in the world? And he's uh, and Harrison Ford gives like an emotional speech about like, I've been studying this all my life. Like, I'm here. I'm finally here. You know, let me stay here. But, like, then there's also a man in a toga being like, hello, good sir, yeah. what is your spinning machine, you know? And you're like, oh, okay. He is speaking Latin, it's like, I believe, but he's not spe- no, he's speaking, speaking like... He's speaking fucking Greek, you That's idiot. It. It's Greece. <laughs> what the hell? See, he? I, one are, of my favorite sure ways that? to spend time is to listen to you two scream and at each other and belittle each other in my car. Well, he was They're in Sicily. He's not in Greece. I know he's, he's I know, I understand that he's Greek. And then But how are they communicating? Indy knows how to speak Greek? Yeah, he knows he knows like the eight codes. He it was translating in Mayan in That's Crystal right. Skull. Yeah. My guy is a little bit. I'll linguist. have to run it through yeah. Mayan. Just yeah. so you know when you're a classes major, you have to learn both. Okay. Or classes so. major. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> And and new Greek is okay. an ancient Greek, oh, you know, like modern okay. Greek. So So Indy speaks ancient Greek. I'm sure that he does. Okay. Okay. What else is he going to be Indiana Jones? All of my professors it's read ancient Greek and kind of spoke it. I mean, the speaking of it all is hard, but that's a whole other podcast that you don't want to have. Anyway, Mal, I get yeah. it. He's been studying Amanda his presents as though she speaks Just ancient Greek when she talks about these things. That's remarkable to get to witness. Should we start doing this podcast in Latin? Well, I think Sean should do it in Latin. <laughs> Amanda should do it in, you gotta do it in ancient Mayan. Greek. And I'll be here barely speaking English, you know? <laughs> okay. um, I get it, but it's like, it was also like, you know, ancient Greece Renaissance Fair. Okay. Here, if you will allow me to put on my ringer verse hat for a moment, is where I will, will say, Indiana Jones movies... And again, this is incorporated into the text. It's something with the central character is constantly grappling with are genre movies, right? And so actually having a part of the story go into time travel, bootstrap paradox, I thought was like exciting and cool. I certainly don't think it felt out of place inside of a franchise where the Ark of the Covenant has opened and melted off people's faces or the Holy Grail has healed Henry Sr.'s abdominal wound or where we've watched hearts pulled out of human chest cavities and that person continues to live until they are melted in a lava pit. Like, what about this doesn't feel like it belongs in the franchise? Uh, it's 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 not that. I, I have thought about that a lot. I do think it is in keeping, obviously, with the... Yeah. Um, the outsized, almost science fiction nature of the conclusion yeah. of every Indiana Jones movie. I don't have a problem with that specifically. I think there were two things. One, there was a lot of, in the run-up to this film, criticism of the, the CGI, how the CGI looked in the trailer, which I didn't really notice as I was watching this movie at mm-hmm. all until we got into this sequence. Yeah. And we saw a plane mm-hmm. having arrows fired at it during the Siege of Syracuse. And I was like, this just kind of looks like shit to me. Yeah. And it just they looks, all think it's a dragon. I, I, I get, I mean, yeah. but even as a storytelling <laughs> convention, that would have been fine, yeah. but it just kind of uh-huh. turns into yeah. a third-act CGI fest, mm-hmm. which I really thought did not work. And it does not work in a lot of these movies. And... In addition to that, I thought, I agree with Amanda that there was a kind of like your fourth grade teacher dresses up as a historical figure and starts to right. talk to you in class <laughs> feeling where I was like, eh. Did you ever have to do that? Did I have to dress yeah, up? Yeah, like, yeah. I didn't teach fourth grade. No, as a student. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did, but I had to do, I was Chrissy Everett. 
who I really who's commentary. I don't know what you're talking about. I I I did that. (laughs) Who were you? Henry Ford. Oh, that's cool. Wow. That's that's a that's tough beat. Yeah. It's a really yeah. anti semite. Nobody yeah. told me that's at the time. Not ideal. That's why I uh, love Ford versus Ferrari so much. That's a good point. Uh, so I I struggled with it a little more. I did think ultimately that the conversation between Indy and Archimedes, whatever language they spoke, uh, was there was something touching in Harrison Ford's performance that yeah. I liked, and I thought that the way that they concluded that segment by not allowing him to stay mm-hmm. was ultimately the right choice. Mm-hmm. Um, because and, it gave us the final five minutes of the movie, which I thought really worked well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I that sequence though, I just I it didn't it just didn't work for me. I, the other thing I liked about it have have either of you watched the outstanding television program Dark? No, no. I haven't seen it. So when I was watching this, and I, I have to talk to Chris about this because he's obviously a fellow darkhead. It, it felt clear to me that the people who made this movie not only have seen but cherish dark Mm. this was real like the end is the beginning and the beginning is the end (laughs) stuff in a way that i again is like i think a sci-fi nerd just enjoyed but it also felt thematically apt because not only of the as you guys have both noted that like struggle that indy has maybe i I just i don't belong in that world anymore this is where i belong in the past i'm a relic too was very compelling to watch i think that actual like concretizing of the impact he has had, right? They see in the tomb when they get the final piece, the wristwatch on the skeleton. He's clocking that, we're clocking that. They are presenting the completed Dial of Destiny before Archimedes Mm -hmm. in his time has finished actually constructing this. So he knows that he can do it because he already has. It's a bootstrap bootstrap paradox and Indy is a part of that. So even though Helena says he can't stay because he didn't stay and that would have a ripple, which we should save to, to parse on a whole separate bootstrap paradox pod, he has had a bearing on events that then shaped the rest of not only history, but the lives of the people who were closest to him. I thought that that was really great. Also, the water displacement of the plane is what inspires Archimedes to uh, discover his principle about water and volume. That's right. Here's the thing I don't understand. <laughs> Archimedes died during the siege of Syracuse in, in historical fact. Okay. So when did he complete the dial? Like during the siege? After Indy left? No, Indy gave it to him. No, they they say that they say no, Helena says he's got she's got he's, he's got to make his own. It, which again we're like in the Not heat sure. of battle there. Maybe his sidekick finishes it. It looks pretty tame. Maybe the his battle, sidekick relatively. finishes it. The, the, the battle seems tame. <laughs> They're, like, They're storming the walls. Well, but yeah. it's just like some CGI mm-hmm. ships, yeah. you know? We're doing a little bit of writing stuff off. I realize you have to do that in an Indiana Jones yeah. movie. The but siege, there's some there's some ricketiness to this plotting, I will say. The siege lasted a year and a half. So yeah, it's some oh, time. Oh, okay. Here's, okay. Yeah, here's my other thing. Oh, Good, good Googling, Bobby. Here, Thank you. He's I've like, I know I did it. The sequence that we see, it appears to be the culminating event, <laughs> I will say. It, it, we're like, it's all hands on deck. The arrows are fucking flying through the sky. <laughs> I've been told that, that that Googling talent is well, what, what sets ringer producers apart <laughs> yeah, we do really other appreciate podcast you. producers. Here's my one other thing about Archimedes. Mm-hmm. Of all of the historical figures that Indy gets to meet yeah. in mm-hmm. his life, mm-hmm. you can pick anyone. Mm-hmm. You're going with Archimedes. No. Right. So I was just kind of like, like, why? Like, respectfully, mm. it's important to know what water does and doesn't do, but like, and all the other things. I don't know. I only learned about Archimedes' principle. We can just, can you put Science Corner in at some point? I, I, do, 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 do. Welcome to Amanda Dobbins' Science Corner. 
I do think, um, strangely, Mallory and I have an awareness of the Antithecara's history because of something, a project (laughs) that we worked on here a long time ago. And so because of that, and knowing what I know about it, you could say that it is a really great artifact for Indiana Jones. Yeah. And so it's yes. less about Archimedes and it is more about a 2,000-year-old artifact right. that yeah. has been longed, like tr- people have been trying to understand the ancient computer for a sure. long time. Sure, but yes. the movie's yeah. um, like other emotional core is set up for Indy to be pleading like in 231 BCE to get to stay and talk to this guy because it's what his whole life has been leading to. And his whole life is leading to like Archimedes. But I think it's less about Archimedes and more that he but thinks no Archimedes one's left to talk there. to him. Archimedes is talking to him. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's less it's less about him than it is like an a, an evocation of his obsession with history. Yeah. And he know. just is a stand-in. For, what do you want to be? Cleopatra? You I know? was gonna say, give me Caesar, give me something. No, you know? because those people are not, they're not <laughs> scholars. They're leaders, that, but that but Archimedes of. isn't. But they're they're not though. They're he's much more representative of what India is interested in. So I I don't I thought it was appropriate. I didn't yeah. think it was a weird choice. It's just the actual execution of the scene is just mm-hmm. not great in my opinion. And so yeah. it it held me back from being like this is one of the this is is this in the conversation for third best indie movie? I'm not going to make that case. Mm. You you may though. It sounds like we'll see. Okay. In- interesting. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's good though. I thought it was good. I was really fun. It's it's great. Were you surprised that it was good? Wait, can we talk about the final, like the very final scene? Sure, of course. Which I just, I was also, I teared up. It was incredibly Same. moving. Yeah. yeah. The reunion of uh, yes. yeah. Him Marianne talking about Marion earlier and then the actual reunion yeah. with Marion, just flawless. I thought, Sean, uh, we've made fun of you a lot today, so to credit you, I thought that your point on The Last Crusade rewatchables Agree about with how Marion is like the secret ingredient of the franchise and it the movies that don't have her just, just simply like that was a good missing point. that Thank element is, is correct. That was, that? Yeah, wow. that was good job. Uh, yeah. 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 When you're right, you're it's right. the only good point you've and made on the podcast wrong, you're wrong. this year. But... <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Unbelievable. I don't know. I have no idea what I've done. Yeah, you're, the year, you're the best. You're the best. There's only one Sean Fantasy. That's why to me it's Raiders and then everything else in a lot of ways. But uh that that reunion and the final moments of the film is great. Lovely. Beautiful. Um, wh- let me ask you this. You you blanched at the idea of the the ongoing adventures of Mutt in 2008. Would you watch the ongoing adventures of Wombat in a new movie that is just Phoebe Waller Bridge? I would. I'm like a franchise glutton, so I'm sure that doesn't surprise either of you to hear. Though I personally would like like to just sit on it and wait. I think this feels like a very nice place to stop for a minute. And while I don't think that like only one performer can embody one character, I'd say that if you were going to make that case, the best example you could ever cite would be Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. He's, they're just like, it's indelible and he is inextricable, right? The the the, the person and, and the character. So I, I don't want to think about like a world where Harrison Ford's not here anymore. But as long as he is, it's hard for me to watch an indie movie where he's not the lead. But can you do... But one day, sure. Helena Shaw and... Well, the podcast about See, a holy grail. So often when we're talking about maybe not other franchise movies, but yeah, like other action movies or a thing that we'll say is a compliment. It was like, oh, they're kind of like doing Indiana Jones, right? Because it has a certain vibe and mm-hmm. and throwback fun to it. Yep. So if Phoebe Waller-Bridge were in a snappy action movie that's yes. like doing Indiana Jones, which I oh, think sure. they really yeah. get to with her character in this film, it would be great. If she has to literally be the franchise standard bearer for Helena Shaw in Indiana Jones and, you know, the second to last whatever, like, yeah, I, 
No, because because there's just there's too much machinery and nonsense. You won't get that like lightness that I think sh- I think she brings to this franchise and that yeah. this franchise has with with Harrison Ford. I also think like it's not a one to one, but if we look at Solo, a Star Wars story, mm-hmm. a movie that I actually like think is slightly underrated. We just have proof. It's like the hardest thing to do to step yeah. into Harrison Ford's shoes. People will just always say this isn't Harrison Ford, even if. I think Phoebe. I think Phoebe would be amazing as the lead of a franchise, but yeah. I mean, the other thing, it's like I think it would be fun to see her doing franchise entertainment and maybe even some actiony stuff. But like, is that how? Do I want Phoebe Waller-Bridge spending the next ten years of her life, you know, rolling? What if Fleabag and Hot Priest found the dial of destiny and went back to the and talked to Archimedes? Yeah. Okay. And then there's uh, instead of a plane that people think is a dragon, there's a fox. This is what something that, that Chris Ryan and I discussed. Uh, actually, after we left you, we you went up okay. to the fourth floor and we went to the third floor of the parking structure after the film. And he and I were talking and we were like, what's she been up to for the last five years? Yeah. Like Fleabag ended. She made this. So when you say like I, if this is what she's doing it's for the next point. ten years, like I don't, well, what else what is else she done? Is she doing no, that's, that's well, the return. Point. That's one of the things to celebrate, like the return of, of Phoebe Waller to our lives. I mean, she is just a sensation. She's terrific. Love her. Uh, shall we? Shall we rank Indiana yes. Jones movies? Mm-hmm. Should we take a break so I can yeah. lick my wounds after getting pummeled <laughs> by arrows during the siege of Sean? This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring is such a refreshing time of year. Flowers are blooming and you're getting your house in order. But now is also a good time to take a second look at your wireless plan because you might be overpaying. Right now, Mint Mobile has unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash bigpick. That's mintmobile.com slash bigpick. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Okay, Sean, top three movie snacks of all time, go. Um, all right, let me think. Uh, popcorn? Obviously. Hmm. Ice cream? That's two. Oh, and uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, of course. Peanut butter and chocolate is a pretty perfect combination. Some may even say the ultimate movie snack. You can't argue with that. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Let me tell you a little secret. If you want to end the day on an even better note, get yourself a sweet frozen treat from Sonic. Especially since right now at Sonic, you can get half-price shakes after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. That's creamy soft serve, hand-mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size and flavor. So save on your chocolate shake today, your strawberry shake tomorrow, and your cheesecake shake the next day. Grab Sonic half-price shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. Okay. There are five movies in this franchise. I'm going to list those five films in the years they were released before we really get into this. Raiders of the Lost Ark from 1981. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom from 1984. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, 1989. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, 2008. And Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, 2023. Is it safe to assume? It probably isn't. 
Is it safe to assume that Raiders of Lost Ark is number one? Where are you? If you're Mallory's nodding her head, so okay. Yes, I'm and, not gonna. I'm not gonna fight with you guys. I Last Crusade is my favorite, but I understand its historical significance. You know, if you want to do it by like number of memorable set pieces, et cetera, like I get it. You know, it's Raiders. I just think there's a love thing that is not. And re- and Marion, you're Marian right. Marion is and, not there. That's true. And Allison Duty, no disrespect. Yeah. yeah. Shout out Elsa. Yeah. Um. I, just to be clear, I think that Last Crusade is a sublime movie. It's one of my favorites ever. And I think I often feel that way too. The question of like, which is actually my favorite? Mm-hmm. It it might be Last Crusade. But I think if the exercise is like best, most consequential, most important. I agree. I'm with you. I, Raiders is just, the. I think the case is like close to unimpeachable. I think also just the pure filmmaking is the best in that movie too. So, I agree with that. Um, Last Crusade obviously is a wonderful movie. Fantas- uh, absolutely fantastic. Lots of controversy in the aftermath of our Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. It is what Listen, it is. I, again, I, I do think that you should be ashamed that okay. it wasn't an instance. What would you Thanks, have thanks for weighing in again on that. <laughs> no. What? <laughs> ashamed. What would you have traded? You wouldn't have done the American Graffiti thing? No, I wouldn't. Yeah, have. of course not. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I understand. His role's it's just too small. Yeah. 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 I get it. Whatever. It's all right. Maybe next time you guys great. can create a podcast. And then when you do, you can put that movie in there. Sound good? Uh, okay. Amanda and I are going to do rewatchables Colin Harrison Ford. And oh my God. That would no be one so else good. is invited. <laughs> As a, a series. Yeah. As a sponsored series. Oh yeah. Every is it going to be publishable? Why? Like, is the internet going yeah. to accept it? Or is it going to be too it's, explicit? Yeah. It's, uh, it's Red Band always. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't get this one involved in your uh, only 78-year-old men, cool guys, power rankings with with Juliet. Well, we just, it kind of came up organically on Jam Session. Do you want to be on the cool men committee? You're welcome anytime. I have a lot of strong, fervent feelings about older men. I don't know if I'm really like a, a, a arbiter this... of cool, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> know, you know thyself. What? That's good self-knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Okay, yeah. the real work begins here. Thank you for accepting Raiders. Yeah. To me, you Raiders don't is on it. Is, but it I'm is doing like, it for Mallory and not for you. It's 1A and 1B, though. I think we should, we should okay, say so you it's 1A and 1B. Say and one, one out a and of the one B. They can be 1 and 2, but like they're close. It is yeah. a tier. Okay. They're, they're a top at a tier. I think Raiders is ahead of Last Crusade for the purpose of the ranking, but that, that's a separate tier from the rest of the list. So then, we usually do these in reverse order, but in this case... Let me ask you this. Why will you accept the Ark, but not the Grail? It's a fantastic question. What do you mean? Yeah, you're just like, the Grail is bullshit, but the Ark is also a Jesus-related... The Ark of the Covenant appears in the Bible. The oh, Holy yeah. Grail does not appear in the Bible. I guess it's not Jesus-related. It's it's Moses-related. It appears in the Bible. Yeah, it's Tenorthorian legend. Because the Grail is an invention, and the Ark is not. So, it's it, to me, it's more interesting. Okay, so That's part of why the dial, I think, so is interesting. So, what you're saying is that the Bible is, is factual, and especially no. the Old Testament. no. I'm saying that it's not a retconned object, so which is mad. what the Holy Grail is. I'm not I'm not mad. You are wrong. <laughs> it's, it's a simple fact. You didn't know this until I told you this yesterday. You were surprised to learn is. that the Holy Grail is not in the Bible. Also, no, it the whole, wasn't. I, I know the Bible. I had to go to four fucking years of Bible school in high school. I know what is let's in go the even four further. Let's no no no. Not, no, no, no. No, no, no. Let's go to the tenets mm-hmm. of Christianity. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. If you believe in the teachings of the gospel, God, and his son, Jesus, you will have eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. You don't need to drink from a magical cup that grants you, quote unquote, eternal life. In fact, 
that is blasphemy to imagine that there is an object in the world that Christ would consecrate that would allow you to live on this earth forever. So the whole idea of the grail is bullshit. Which is what Indiana Jones learns at the end of Last Crusade. No, he doesn't yes, learn that yes, they, there is eternal yes, life inside of the yeah, only, only inside, inside of the, the seal. Thing. Yeah, and he values. But it is real life there. for the and the it is uh, presumably brother. it is granted by Jesus. Is it not? What I can tell by from the power they don't of God, say Jesus. It is by the power of God. That's okay. the understanding in the story. Sean has not spent enough time in Camelot. And that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. It's also. <laughs> I was thinking a lot about this, and I think you guys what, are lost. what appeals to me <laughs> and Chris about it, it's like... You thought it was one thing that it was not. You were like, you like the sword yeah, so, and the stone, but so you don't like the so Holy Grail. Think, I like the sword and the stone because it's a great story of Arthurian so, legacy. So you think that I get up every day and I'm like, today is the day <laughs> that I'm going to find a magic cup that Jesus drank out of and then Arthur was looking no, for? No, you don't have the will or ingenuity life. to find it. So no, I don't think I like you will do that. I like this type of mythology that is like allegedly somehow connected to real world instead of like totally made up like science fiction mythical. That, that's, that's the type of story Telling but that I like. that's the point that I'm making. That part of why the Ark is such a great artifact and part of the, the reason why Archimedes' creation right. is such a great artifact is it is rooted in a sense because of history. Because the Old Testament is fact. No, because it is, it is. it was created contemporaneously. It wasn't retconned into the history of something previous to can it. Can I just observe? There was a cup. That this there argument. There was a cup at a table that when they yeah. drank. Yeah, but, so that's the same thing. There were some tablets. Like, what are you talking about? The whole idea of right. eternal youth and catching like, the blood of Christ. Whether, yeah. But none of that stuff is in the Bible. But none of that also, stuff is part of the so history of Christ. Bible that all of the segments of Moses's like two tablets give you the power to defeat all armies forever. I, I honestly don't know. The it's details not of in that. the Bible. Maybe you can okay. weigh in on that. Let in me the just Old tell Testament. you, that's not. I I do not feel prepared to speak on the the Bible, but what I will <laughs> say is that part of what is genuinely great about this argument, this now recurring <laughs> argument that you two are having, and this is one of the arguments for Last Crusade, is that this is like inc incorporated into the text of the movie. Yeah. The, the, it's a leap of faith, yeah. right? Like, that whole sequence hinges on whether you nodding, can like, we're believe. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you guys are into taking that step. Uh, it's, great a, it's a great argument. Raiders and Last Crusade. Raiders is number movies. one. Okay. Yeah. Last Crusade is number two. I think two. that your philosophy is inconsistent, but that's fine. I'm still giving you Raiders at number one. People are listening to this pod and they're like, they, Amanda sucks. Just get her <laughs> out of here. She just got dunked on. And you're like, I'm right. <laughs> you're literally like, I believe in one made up biblical artifact, but not the other. I'm not saying one, I believe in yeah. it. I'm not saying I believe it. That's okay. I'm just saying it appears in the text. I don't, of course, I, I'm not a practicing Christian, so I, okay. I'm not saying I believe in anything, honestly. Can really you insert the clip from four and a half minutes ago of Sean shouting, that is blasphemy! <laughs> right after he says that he's not Well, when, when you are raised in the church, you are taught to communicate uh -huh. in that yeah. way. You know, there is a fire That's and a great. brimstone. There's three more movies. Yeah, yeah. There's Temple of Doom, which has been catching strays left and right it on sure the Ringer has. Podcast yeah. Network of late. There's Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and Dial of Destiny. Now, yes. Have we gone too far in rejecting Temple of Doom of late? I think so. I and I, and it's not my favorite by mm. any stretch of the imagination, but it is still practical filmmaking by Steven Spielberg. Okay. So I I think some of it like on a pure just action set piece level exceeds anything in the other two movies. That's in 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 the more recent movies. Because of and you know and I am biased against all CGI stuff, but I right, just right. I you can you can really see it in both um, 
Dial of Destiny, but particularly Crystal, uh, Crystal Skull. What do you think? I am torn on three, four between Temple of Doom and Dial of Destiny and what the right order is. I think that when I, when I, I've That's really interesting. Yeah. Because like, I agree with what Amanda just said. I think that there's a lot to recommend Temple of Doom when you revisit it and to think about when it was made. It's a sexy movie that the set pieces are like riveting, but also to like, we just broke down whether it makes sense for arrows to hit airplanes. Like, does it make sense when the trolleys are going through the mountain and the water and the pace of it and where people exit the, Yeah. It, no, none of it does. And it's actually kind of like disorienting to revisit it. And obviously there are other parts of the movie that are just like genuinely problematic and don't hold up. And in terms of just the characters and how compelling they are together, short round and India are lovely. Right. But Willie is, I mean, you, you talked about Elsa earlier, like, Willie yeah, is one of the weakest tough. characters yeah. in the history yeah, of great. Indiana Unfair. Jones. And the fact that it's a prequel and takes place before Raiders but comes out after, part of what makes Last Crusade so memorable and fulfilling is like the real feeling that like the character is making progress and moving forward and we're learning something new and meaningful about his relationships and who he is. Temple of Doom not only doesn't give you that, it like reverts and undermines some of what's what really like is like perfectly calibrated about Indie in Raiders in a way that I like. It's a more immature version of him, honestly. And so, like, it's it's just not. It's just like not as great of a movie as people remember. That said, I watched it a second time after that was my feeling revisiting it a couple weeks ago, and then I rewatched it again this week, and I was like, "This is is still fucking great." Yeah, because it's an original trilogy Indiana Jones movie, so. That's kind of that's kind of where I am. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like all of those guys were in a really ugly place. And it's just, as we've said, it's bad vibes yep. throughout, but it's still torn sleeve indie with his chest showing on the bridge, though. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sensational. So, I, I think generally I agree with both of you guys. I think that the movie has a lot of flaws. I find it to be a little slow, honestly. Yeah. yeah, sure. um, yeah. And it kind of it kind of drags. I haven't watched rewatched it twice in the last few weeks. You're an absolute maniac, <laughs> even by my standards. Um, I I think obviously it's like pretty culturally insensitive. Yeah, and yes, there, yes. there are serious demerits for that. Yeah. The I villains seen, are the least memorable. The MacGuffin is the least uh, memorable. Is really memorable in my mind as a perf- as a performance. Sure, as a character too. I mean, really? whether whether or not like that's the right kind of character for this franchise to be portraying, I think is up for discussion. But I, to me, as a kid. Molaram was very memorable, very, almost, almost iconic, candidly. So I think if you're g- going through the movies and saying, like, what are these people fighting for? What are they trying to achieve? What does anybody actually sure. want? There's like the least established in the text of the story. Now, that's not why everyone watches Indiana Jones movies, and that's fine. Like, yep. it's an action adventure movie. It is. It has more horror mo- elements in a, in a fun way than some of the other movies. I think Dial of Destiny. And it, maybe this is recency bias, is a more fulfilling Indiana Jones story. And that would be my case for considering it at three. I think ultimately I would put Temple of Doom at three because of its like historic significance okay. and weight and Dial of Destiny at four. But I do think there's a I came out of Dial of Destiny and I was like, this is three. This is the third best indie movie. And now I'm kind of like. You feel firmly there or have you been convinced at all? I agree with Mallory on Temple of Doom at three, but. Dial of Destiny like higher in my heart while being at four. It is more, what I think it's more enjoyable, but. And for, yeah, fulfilling. There's and, something like, very fulfilling I, you about know, it. I, I thought the Varkamini's stuff was like pretty silly yeah. and it is, uh, 
bloated and you can kind you can see it trying to be the throwback you know it just has like the weight of all the other movies on it so I think it probably is Temple of Doom 3, Dial of Destiny 4. It's interesting that we're arriving at that conclusion, which I'm, I'm aligned with you guys. And that, okay. would, that, would mean, that would mean the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull would come in at five. Because yeah. Yeah. I, like so many other people, frankly, in America these days, are revisiting Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And once again, not unlike Dial of Destiny, through about an hour of the movie, I was like, Good, great movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really enjoying yeah. this film starring <laughs> yes. Harrison Ford as Indiana sure. Jones. Sure. Uh, yeah. it, it does take some unfortunate turns, and I would say specifically the last 15 minutes of the movie, I'm they like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, really it is a baffling. huge misfire yeah. at the at the very in my opinion, at the very conclusion of the movie. But even some of the stuff I didn't like so much, the the chase through the jungle, the swinging on the vines with the monkeys, the <gasps> ants attacking. That's so really bad. So, I, I think so, so bad. bad. It's I, funny. I, my I was kind of comfortable ants, I don't mind it. the monkeys. No, no, no. It's horrible. The, I, <laughs> the way that I rewatched this was that I wanted to revisit some of it before we saw a Dial of Destiny, but I only got through, I watched until Marion shows back up. Okay. Um, which is like a lovely moment. And so I rolled into Dial of Destiny and I think said to you, I was like, you know what? Pretty good, honestly. We were misremembering. But then I felt that I needed to finish the rewatch before this podcast. So I got only like that last 45 minutes. That on its own is a tough ride. What happened? It is really not good. What? Why is that movie like that? (laughs) I don't understand. I don't know. I think we've all had the same experience revisiting it. Like I I said to you, Sean, the morning after I I rewatched it a couple weeks ago, like Crystal Skull, not as bad as we all remember and think. And I, I enjoyed it a lot more, certainly than I did in 2000. Eight and and then I anticipated that I would, but it just has way more flaws than mm-hmm. it, uh, even if it has more to recommend it than I think we recall, which it does. Mm-hmm. It just has way more like devastating flaws than it. And again, the mud stuff is I think what most people would cite more so even than the like actual alien yeah, hive mind they, reveal and all of that. But like also like Blanchett's. I mean, that's a terrible Indiana Jones villain. I mean, it's still Cape Blanchett, but it, I don't but know. Like, I don't know what's motivating Wouldn't you, as an enthusiast, yeah. say that this is up there with like Tom Hanks and Elvis is like some of the most <laughs> baffling accent work we've ever it's gotten not, in it's movies? Not great. <laughs> it's not. It's not great. Yeah, the Mac character, just like is Mac Ray Winstone. Yeah, yeah, like of all of the different it's a lot of people double, who were, yeah, there, like yeah. So, okay, this is somebody who is either a foe or a friend and has history with Indy that they're alluding to constantly, but we have no affection for that character or interest in that character, so mm-hmm. it just doesn't work anywhere near as well as some of the other figures who are in that kind of role. They don't let John Hurt talk for like yeah, an but hour he and a half, there, but he gets though. to draw, which sure, is great. but they don't let him speak. Yeah, it's um, still really I also fun, like what 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 do the aliens want? I rewatched this and I I just what? Well that that's part of it too, right? It's like the whole let's find, you know, the golden city of El Dorado and then the the bad guys want the skull to basically like exert mind control over the planet. That's what the Russians want. And the good guys, right? Ox in the actually experience this telepathic connection staring into the eyes of <laughs> the crystal skull of the alien being. There's all the stuff about mag, you know, gold. Crystal's not magnetized, neither is gold. And so there's this like, okay, well, what is the power and how will it be used? But I don't know, in a Spielberg movie, it's of course like seems totally appropriate that there would be some sort of alien presence. And I think Indy confronting something alien instead of just historic or religious and thinking about history through the lens of maybe a, a force we didn't understand is like all of that theoretically, I find kind On of- On paper, it's, kind it's of interesting. Yeah, right? It's just an execution just problem. Yeah. Yeah. So then this is basically chalk. This is what people would imagine. 
probably. Yeah. If they thought that Dial of Destiny was not going to be a fiasco, which up, all the way up until yeah. the first trailer, people were like, Dial of Destiny, exciting. Um, what I wonder is if we did this in like 15 years, if we'll have Dial of Destiny at three. I, I, I might change my mind when I see it again tomorrow. Same. You know, like yeah. I don't, it's possible that I see more flaws or that I'm even more moved by it. I don't really know. I'm quite curious. So then our rankings will be in order. Number five, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Number four, Dial of Destiny by a hair. Number three, Temple of Doom. Number two, which is really 1B, is The Last Crusade. And 1A is, of course, Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of the greatest movies ever made. And I don't understand why people on this pod keep dis- dismissing it. I'm not, not dismissing it. I love Raiders. I love of the Raiders. Lost. No, don't say that I'm dismissing Raiders of the Lost Ark. I love that movie. I won't allow it. You nagged it a little bit. So you could you get, get Last Crusade points. That's all I'm no. saying. No. The thing about you just trying to psych Raiders people of out, the Lost Ark, nor will I have you podcasts. get psyched out. No, is that all of your previous statements are recorded. So we can just rewind the tape. I stand by everything. Okay. I stand by it all. I think that Raiders of the Lost Ark is a sacred text. Do not imply otherwise, or I will ask you about the Mets. We're not talking about that here. Speaking of blasphemy. (laughs) You're going to make me collateral damage to that? Come on. Uh, Mal, any closing thoughts? Any other Harrison Ford floating emotions that you need to put out into the universe right now? I just think he's an incredibly special presence in our shared history. Did you history, say the most important grateful. face in the history of civilization? Yeah, I feel She said replace yeah. it with the Mona Lisa. I understand okay. I like sex and desire to the extent that I do, which do is from okay. for another podcast <laughs> because of Harrison Ford. Sincerely. Uh, he's just a, a just a seminal presence in my life from the very beginning. My dad taking me to see the original Star Wars movies. My mom sitting me down to watch Working Girl. Very different experiences with my divorced God. parents, but they all centered around Harrison Ford. The first time you see Working Girl, it's memorable. It's Really, really special. You just like looked deeply into my eyes when you said that, and I I honestly don't know why. Um, I don't either. I'm Harrison Ford is a treasure. I just, I absolutely never tire of revisiting his movies. When you guys were starting the Hall of Fame, and you all had, you all indicated that a similar experience. It's just like the most fun you can have is booting up a Harrison Ford movie and spending two hours watching him be magical. It's great. I think the only other thing I would say is that uh, Joe and I had the pleasure of chatting with James Bengal for Ringerverse. So check that out this weekend. How uh, did you find James? Fantastic. He's really a, wonderful. He's a, a articulate and says many words. Do you say many words to you? Yes, he had very thoughtful uh, answers for our questions. and It was really wonderful. It was wonderful. great. Where yeah. else can we find you? You have a Baltimore Orioles podcast going. Right, Bobby and day. I are going to be starting a Daily O's dispatch that um, it's just our slacks but Mallory asked they- me to carve out between 15 minutes and 15 hours <laughs> at some point over the next week to talk to her about uh, yeah I did say like I need to know the moment that you're leaving LA so I could make sure we have enough time to talk about Adley Rutschman Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson come together with me before to LAX yeah happy, happy to if it means we could talk about Felix Batista Amanda, do you have any closing thoughts? I was just going to ask, are the Orioles doing well or not well? Incredibly well oh that's exciting it's great it's June though Wow. This is what it's like. This is what I'm talking about. It's completely unnecessary. I want you to protect your heart. I have shared an office with you through multiple Orioles seasons. I know what's going on. It's happening. They're going back to the playoffs. I saw these guys last year, okay? You know, and that was (laughs) That is true. Here's a true story. I'll leave you with this. We are planning a 70th birthday trip for my dad this fall, and we were supposed to do it in October. And he recently said to me, we cannot do it in October. 
because we cannot risk missing. Well, now they're Orioles yeah. playoff games. Now, now, oh. now it's definitely. And I said, and I said, I'm like very nauseous. You're right. You can't. You, you guys, that's not. That's, See, this oh, is that's oh. dangerous. You're too. You're too close to it. You're too high on your own supply right now. <laughs> your soul is pure. Yeah. Well, we always appreciate you. Thank you yeah. for being here, Mallory. Thanks to our producer Bobby Wagner for his work on this episode. Next week on the Big Picture, what are we doing? We're having all our friends back. Yeah. Mal will be back. Bobby will be back. Some other all-stars. An epic all-star episode. Best movies of the year so far. We'll see you then. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.